The Old Testament scripture reading today is found in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not <clears throat> excuse me, is, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him, while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua? There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. The New Testament reading is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, is verses 26 through 39. They sailed to the regions of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good 
We'll return to the scripture from Luke chapter 8 that we read this morning with Mary. Tyler in his youth uh, will make certain insinuations uh, that say something about my age. Well, uh, I've taught Tyler and Kimberly everything they know about this app, and I'm trying to get them to, to really learn it. So only if you don't, understand Tyler or Kimberly's unable to explain it, then come to me and uh, I will show you how. If you're visiting, we are in a study in the gospel according to Luke. Uh, we have gone episode by episode and we've come to this passage. It's a very different passage. I love this story. Uh, and which we find ourselves this morning. Before we look at this passage uh, and see what God has to say to us, let us pray and ask uh, the Jesus who is there, who's here this morning according to his promise, let's ask him to teach us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the great privilege of praying for those around us, praying for our own families, praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ, praying for friends and neighbors. Our Father, we come as priests this morning and this priestly prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for Doris Beasley. We pray indeed that she will be able to have the surgery. Our Father, we pray for Priscilla Turner, that you will give her strength for this time. For Laura Berryman, Father, these ladies are in a difficult place. We pray that you would give them strength, that, Father, they might walk as more than conquerors. Before you, bless Carol Leake this morning, and we pray that you would bring comfort to her, to John. Our Father, we do pray as we enter this fall, we pray for the forge in that ministry, that you will bless it mightily. We pray for these Wednesday evening Bible studies for everyone, for the children. Thank you for Kimberly and her leadership and for, Father, the team that she has assembled. That's such a blessing to our children. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to, to have these different studies in homes. And we pray that you would engage us as a congregation, that we might grow as a church throughout Fayette County. Father, connect us in these Bible studies. Our Father, grow us in your word. And thus we pray this morning that as we open this passage, that we would hear Christ speak to us. He was there in that garrison community. He's here. 
Oh, Father, by the power of his spirit, in your spirit, we pray that we would hear his voice in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. What is your story with Jesus? That's the question before the house this morning. When we look at this dramatic passage that's so full of drama, we immediately confronted with the insidious extremes of, unre of unrestrained evil. Look at verse 27. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in tombs. Look at verse 29. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. Sometimes it's hard for us sitting in this beautiful sanctuary, dressed uh, in these surroundings, it's hard to us to identify with such obvious, undisguised evil. This morning, I hope through God's spirit that we'll overcome that. For some of us thought when we read this passage, you know, I really don't understand what this has to do with me. Uh, I don't know anyone like that. I'm not like that. I've, I've never seen anything like that. You must know that this man was not always like that. We see in this man what evil desires do to us as individuals, to our families, or to the combined conscious, collective conscience of our culture when evil is unrestrained. The evil in our souls is not passive. That's the point. It will move to insidious extremes. It's always seeking to grow. The evil that stalks, that stalks this earth, the evil that stalks us, is not passive. That evil, look at this evil in this passage. It's always seeking to expand. Remember what God told Cain in Genesis chapter 4, 7. It's there on your scripture sheet. He said, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. But you must master it. And what did he do? He went out. And we know in this day as, as the first murderer, he went out and killed his brother. What did Jesus tell Peter the evening before the cross? Peter had declared his, his allegiance to Christ, his dedication to Christ. And what did Jesus tell him? Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. The point, you look at this man and be reminded, the insidious extremes of unrestrained Evil. I read this story years ago. And when I think of this passage, I think of this man. His name was Rusty Woomer. He was born in 1954 in the mountains of West Virginia. His family was dirt poor. He only had a couple of pair of pants and ragged shirts. His father was an alcoholic who beat him and his mother. He loved to walk in the mountains. He loved to fish with his mom. 
He was sometimes sleeping the wild instead of going home and facing another beating from his drunk father. Then he began to smoke marijuana and shoot liquefied amphetamines. He quit school in the ninth grade and ended up in a reformatory school in Welsh, West Virginia. He was 16. By the time he was 19, he had graduated into a state prison for theft. When he got out of there, there was a brief marriage, but that ended quickly. He spiraled downward, hanging out with criminals and drug users. On a drug and crime spree in 1979 in South Carolina, Rusty Wilmer hound drugs, robbed, raped, and killed. He landed on death row in the Central Correctional Institution in Columbia, South Carolina. On death row, he just he seemed to become subhuman. He would lie on the floor in his cell. His blonde hair and beard were greasy and matted. His face was pale chalk color. He looked like he was dead. His cell was filthy with half-eaten sandwiches, papers, old copies of Playboy and Penthouse. Cockroaches were crawling everywhere. And he just stayed there on the floor like he was in some kind of trance. Rusty, the point is, Rusty was very much like the man we encountered in the passage before us. He didn't start out that way. He was there because of choices he made. The Bible shows us this. Look at Romans 1.28. It's on your scripture sheet. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to their own lusts, to a depraved mind, to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. That's the description of mankind. That's what happened. When we continue down that path. Here in Luke 8, there's a man who no longer even resembled a man made in the image of God. Satan hates God. He hates the image of God in us. This man had been personal. He had been rational. He had been moral, able to make moral judgments, all in the image of God. But Satan had ripped, sin had ripped and torn at this man. Until he was no longer personal and rational and able to make moral judgments. Now, people, step back and look at this. Don't be blind to it. The collective conscience of a culture can do the same thing. We've seen it in our culture in this present day. A society starts out and it says, that's wrong. We could list any number of things that are now legal and promoted in our society. And just a few decades ago, no, they were evil. They were wrong. But then society says, for freedom's sake, we must allow this thing. We believe it's still wrong, but we must allow it to exist in our minds. I always am amused by politicians who say, oh, I personally believe this is wrong, but I have to vote for it for freedom's sake. Now hold it. You're standing there confessing that you voted for something that is wrong, that you believe is evil and not right. 
That's the next step. Then the conscience becomes hardened. And society says, you know, it's no longer an evil thing. It's a good thing. And indeed, those who really oppose it, they're the real evil people. Isaiah said it in his day. God said it to Isaiah. Sin grows in the society, in the culture, until it finally looks at evil and calls it good. And it looks at good and calls it evil. You see, this is really, as you see this man and think he doesn't have anything to do with you, the same process that was in him is in this culture all around us and the potential is in us. Look at this man and see the insidious aspirations of evil. He was not always like this. The greatest works of evil are usually not seen in men like this man. C.S. Lewis put it this way, quote, the greatest evil is not done in those sordid dens of crime that Dickens loved to paint. It is conceived and moved and seconded and carried and recorded in clean, carpeted, warmed, and well-lighted offices by quiet men with white collars and cut fingernails and smooth-shaven cheeks who do not need to raise their voices. Wow. Where do you think Hitler's final solution was developed and designed? Is it, it wasn't by people who looked like this garrison demonic or looked like Rusty Wimmer. Hitler's final solution was taught as a racial philosophy in German universities, in classrooms by professors for years. And then it was moved to governmental offices for design and execution. Look at this man and see the insidious aspirations of evil. Secondly, I want you to see in this passage, and we've seen this all through, and I, I keep coming back to it in our study in the gospel according to Luke. Uh, we saw it earlier, but we, we have to mention it. See the intolerant aggression of Christ against evil. Look at verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many of us have missed this in our reading. The man did not first cry out against Christ. Christ saw him and immediately wanted to deliver him. Look at verse 29. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. What the man said was in response to what Jesus had already done and said. I love this about Jesus. Jesus gave Satan no quarter and no space. Wherever he encountered Satan, his work or the result of the fall, he changed it. Because of Satan and sin and the fall, people were blind. People were diseased, paralyzed, had leprosy, were deaf. Because of Satan's sin and the fall, people died. When Jesus met blind people, he made them see. He pushed back the darkness immediately. When he met paralyzed people, he made them walk. When he met people with leprosy, he took away the decay. He gave them a new skin. 
When he met deaf people, he made them to hear. When he met a funeral procession, he raised the dead. Right after the baptism, after his messianic baptism, what's the first thing he did? We read that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness to look for Satan. The second Adam had come. Know this, if you know the Savior, that same spirit is going to be in you. That's why it's in the church. That's why the church builds hospitals. That's why churches have always built homes for children's children's homes. That's why the church has always built schools, pushing back against the darkness. Where did we get it? We got it from Jesus. Thirdly, I want you to see the impossible accomplishment of Christ. Look at verse 35. And the people went out to see what had happened. Now look at this. Isn't this beautiful? When they came to see Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. They had chained this wild man, but he broke their chains. They could do nothing that could restrain him. His body was covered with self-inflicted gashes. Mark puts it this way. In Mark 5, 4, it's there on your scripture sheet. For he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. The King James translates that. No one was strong enough to tame him. But Jesus didn't need chains. Jesus did what no one had been able to do. Here sat the man. He was talking, not babbling. He was conversing, not screaming. There were no chains. He was no longer naked. He was wearing clothes. The caterpillar had become a butterfly. That's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus does against the darkness. He does it in our lives individually. He does it corporately through the church. Let's go back to the cell of Rusty Woomer. There was a man named Bob McAllister in whom a great work had been done by Christ. He was a well-known man in that area. He knew senators, congressmen. He was a man driven who succeeded in every job he had. He had made a lot of money. He settled in Columbia, South Carolina. He owned his own public relations firm. He had been compelled by Christ to begin visiting death row at the Columbia Correctional Institution in South Carolina. One night he was there on a typical visit. He was ready to go home. He said, I'll go to one more prisoner. He could not believe what he saw at that, that cell. He said the man was lying in the middle of the floor, looked more like a large shrimp than a man. Cockroaches were crawling all over him. He didn't seem to care. He was in a stupor. There was not an odor. It was just a raw stench. McAllister was shocked. He said he had never seen anything like it in his life. He spoke to Woomer. He called his name, but there was no response. It seemed as if he was trying to say something, but he couldn't. McAllister said he didn't often think in terms of the physical presence of evil, but that evening he said you could feel it. There was something very evil about this man. 
So McAllister prayed just by himself quietly that Jesus would overcome that evil. And then he spoke to Rusty. He shouted at him, Rusty, just, just call on Jesus. Just please say his name. Nothing happened. Then his lips began to move. And he was trying to say the words of Jesus. McAllister shouted at him, Rusty, son, look around you. Your cell is filthy, and so are you. The roaches have taken over. You're spiritually dead. He says, Jesus, Jesus can do something about this. Pray, give him your life. He said Rusty Woomer began to cry. It was the first time he had seen him cry, or it was the first time that Rusty Woomer had cried in 15 years. And he prayed, and he cried out to Jesus. And he was sick, how he had hurt a lot of people. Ain't no way that I deserve you to hear me. It was right at the end of that evening. And McAllister had to leave. It was Friday. He couldn't return till Monday. He said he almost sprinted to the cell on Monday to see what had happened. He said that he got to the cell and the walls were clean. They had been scrubbed. The garbage was gone. The bed was made. No pornographic pictures and magazines. No more roaches. And there stood Rusty, washed, clean clothes, shaven, hair combed. This was no phony jailhouse conversion. Until his execution, and he was executed, Rusty Wilmer's life touched prisoners, guards, even the warden. Touched people in and out of prison all over the state. Even touched the families of the victims, the people he had hurt the most. That's what Christ does. The insidious aspirations of evil, the intolerant aggression of Christ, the impossible accomplishment of Christ. Fourthly, I want you to see the irrepressible alarm of the Gerasene community. The irrepressible alarm. They were alarmed that this had happened, but what alarmed them? Look at verse 37. When all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Matthew and Luke in their, or, or excuse me, Matthew and Mark record the same response. The people came to Jesus in response to what Jesus had done and said, would you please leave? Leave us. And said they were afraid. But what was their object of fear? Remember in the passage we looked at last week, the disciples were crossing, making the crossing to the garrison community. And there was this awful storm. And the disciples were scared that they were about to die. And Jesus got up and stopped the storm just by command, by fiat, said stop, and it stopped. There was a great calm. And suddenly the disciples became more afraid. They backed off. The man in the boat with them could stop storms. They saw something of his transcendence. 
and they feared, and it was a righteous fear. It was a good fear. It was a fear we ought to have when we're faced with the transcendence of God. But that's not, that's not what these people feared. They feared what Jesus had done. You see, their economy was wrapped up in those pigs. Pigs were gone. They didn't see a life. Their value system valued those pigs more than they did the man being healed. They saw the great work of Christ and said, what are you doing? Do you know how much pork just went over the cliff? That's what happens. They could chain the wild man and force him to live in caves, but they couldn't stop Jesus. They couldn't chain him. C.S. Lewis, we quoted him a minute ago, talked about this. I love this quote. He said, there comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion suddenly draw back. Supposing, suppose, suppose we really found him. We never meant it to come to that. We were just dabbling. We're still supposing he's found us. So it's sort of a Rubicon. One goes across or not. But if one does, there's no protection about what will happen. He can disrupt your life economically. Your whole structure of friends could change. He might call you to do some one of your children to do something as radical as go into the ministry, to some ministry. There... They were right to be alarmed. They were right to be alarmed because that's what Jesus does. He changes our status quo. The insidious aspirations of evil, the intolerant aggression of Christ, the impossible accomplishment of Christ, the irrepressible alarm of the garrison community. Please leave, Jesus. Please. The incredible story that Jesus left behind, finally. Look at verses 38 and 39. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. He begged him, Jesus, send him away. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Man, beg Jesus, let me go with you. Please let me go with you. Jesus said, man, your greatest value to me and to your family and to your neighbors is to go tell them what I've done for you. We understand that. That community could, 
that community could see the before and the after. The before Jesus and the after Jesus. He had a story to tell. We might say, I would tell the world if I had a story like that. You see, that's the point. Our story is like that. C.S. Lewis, in talking about this, described his life before he was a Christian. And this is how he described his life. He said, my heart was a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. He said, my name was Legion. You see, Lewis looked at this passage and to whom did he with whom did he identify? The demonic. He got the message. When you first read that, did you did you identify with the demonic? What did Paul tell the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2 in introducing the subject of grace, the definition of grace? Now here were these Christians like us sitting in a refined Christian community. Listen to what he said to them. It's there in your scripture sheet. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, Paul including himself, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Then you followed after Satan. He would tell us this morning, you were lost. You could have followed Satan into Rusty Woomer's lifestyle. You could have followed him into the hedonistic lifestyle of just endless pleasure. Or you could have followed him into the boardrooms of unrestrained power where six million people are executed. You were like that. And then came Jesus, not from neighboring Galilee, but from glory itself. Here came the incarnate Son of God. And he didn't just get, he gave a command and the demons came out of this man. He gave a command and delivered this man from the evil. But he didn't just give a command to deliver us. He was flogged. He was crucified. On a cross, beaten and bloody, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's our story. That's our story. When I consider where I would be today without Jesus, I'm terrified. I know that that unrestrained evil would have owned me. You see, our story is even greater than this man's story. His story did not include the full story of Jesus. He did not know of a cross. He did not know of a hill called Golgotha. He did not know that Jesus would become the lamb of sacrifice for us. But 
You have a story to tell. That's what this passage tells us. We were like the demonic until Christ came and delivered us. Go tell your story in Oakland. Go tell your story in Somerville, Arlington, Williston, LaGrange, Moscow, Piperton. Fayette County has a story to tell. An incredible story to tell Fayette County. Our hymn is most appropriate. Come thou fount of every blessing.